0: But this morning, we want to talk about how do we handle regrets? Uh, you don't have to have lived very long to know that life inevitably will bring with it regrets. Um, and, and because we have regrets, and listen, I'd love to tell you in this message this morning that we're going to talk about how to never have regrets again how to uh, never think about the regrets from the past that somehow or other, it just all goes away. They they could just take a a pill and it's not about never having uh, the regrets from the past come up in your thoughts. It's learning how to handle them so they don't dominate your life and keep you from all that God has for you. Um, because if you've lived long enough, you know that life is difficulties, right? I mean, you're going to face hardships and pain and go through adversity in life. Uh, we know that. You know that. I know that. We all know that. Like, life is hard. Life has difficulties. We know it now, and Jesus knew it 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Life is full of trouble. Some of the trouble that you're going to face is not your own doing. It's not because you made a bad choice or a bad decision or did anything to bring the trouble upon yourself. It's simply life as an accident. A car swerves and hits you and instantly your life is changed. Uh, The economy tanks. And all of a sudden, your business has to downsize, and you went from a consistent, good career that felt like it was providing to trying to figure out how to make ends meet. The, um, the, the um, real estate market crashes, and you go from having uh, this value, this net worth on paper that's really big, and all of a sudden, it's not so big Anymore, uh, some of these things are out of your control. Your daughter decides to date a Dallas Cowboy fan, and uh, where is he? Um, you know, and, and trouble comes <laughs> in this world. You will have trouble, um, but 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 a lot of the trouble in life that we face that we deal with is our of our own doing, isn't it? If we're honest with ourselves. You got the trouble of, you know, some of the students here, the teenagers, like, hey, school just ended, but it's not over for me. I get to go to summer school because you didn't apply yourself and, and work hard and study and do those things that you needed to do. Some of you faced the trouble growing up of, of um, not listening to your parents and, and doing your own thing and not listening to their advice and disobeying what they asked of you and caught. Con- all kind of trouble into your life. Some of you followed friends that were doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing that you didn't even want to do, but somehow you ended up in trouble and it's because of what you chose to do. Some of you are dealing with debt because you um, just couldn't control your spending and you spent more than came in and, and on and on. There's so many things in life that we face trouble and it's our own doing. But the, the, the idea that life has trouble, that life has difficulties, what Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, that's not like an earth-shattering statement. Everyone knows this. But Jesus doesn't end there. He goes on to say this. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You're going to face difficulties. And the natural byproduct of trouble is often regret. I regret having dated her. I wish I had never said that. I wish I had never done what they said to do. I wish I had never gone there. I wish I had never done this. And so because of the trouble we face, it brings regret. I wish I had studied harder. I wish I had been more consistent in my life. But Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And if he has overcome the world, it means he will also help you and me to overcome the regret that we face from the decisions that we made because of the trouble that came into our lives. So what I want to do this morning is look at how to handle regret. So I want to look at the words of the Apostle Paul. You may not be familiar with Paul, so I want to give you a little bit of a background on him. Before he became a follower of Christ, he he was known as Saul. And he wasn't a Christian, he was a good religious leader. And, uh, and he hated Christians. He hated what they stood for. He hated this whole new uh, movement that Jesus came to start. And, and so he was persecuting Christians. He was uh, hunting them down. He got letters from the officials so he could have them thrown in jail. As a matter of fact, uh, some Christians were being put to death and he was there cheering it on, kill them. He just, he couldn't stand Christians. And then one day he is on his way Uh, to Damascus in Syria to have more Christians arrested. And while he's traveling, he has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus has already been crucified and raised from the dead. And so he has this encounter with the resurrected, glorified Jesus. And, uh, and it completely changes his life. As a matter of fact, there's a season in life where as a result of that encounter, he can't see. He's blinded because God wants him to know, listen, you thought you could see everything and you thought you knew everything, but you've been walking around like a blind man. Then he goes and he meets this guy who's a Christian and God works through him to restore his sight because God says, now, listen, as I'm changing your life and transforming you, you thought you could see, but you were really, really blind, but now you've been blind, but you're going to be able to see. And it radically changes him. He's no longer called Saul. He's now known as Paul. And he goes on and he's used by God to heal others, to set people free, to start churches. He started churches all over the known region there. He led hundreds and thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. And he ended up writing over one third of the New Testament. So if there's anyone who ought to know how to have overcome the regret of the past, it ought to have been Paul. And yet... These are the words that he writes to the Christians in the city of Corinth. He says, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because of the regret that I carry. I persecuted the church of God. I put Christians to death, and that that regret weighs on me. So he understood what it meant to walk with regret, to have regret. He didn't get to the point where he said, I don't remember this stuff anymore. He says, I know what I did. But regret isn't gonna hold me back. So later on, he's writing uh, to a different group of Christians in the city of Philippi, and he's giving them a list of things that he's done, good things and bad things, great things and regrets. And he says, I've done all this stuff in my past. And some of it you could look at and say that's wonderful and some of it I'm, I'm not really proud of but this is what he says he says I forget what the, what's in the past I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead I press on to reach the end of the race forgetting everything in the past good bad ups downs the great accomplishments and I I forget all of that and I press on I run the race because I want to reach the end of the race. There's a race that's marked out for me, and I want to be faithful to that. And so what Paul is telling us is that for you and for me, what we can know is this, that we do not need to let regrets dictate our future. Don't let your regrets dictate your future. It's so easy to say, well, I've done this in the past, therefore I can't be used in the future. But if Paul could be used, a man who put Christians to death, God can use you. So how do we handle regret? Because regret won't go away. I know people that regret things they did 30, 40 years ago. And all of a sudden it comes back up in their thoughts when they lay their head on their pillow at night and the regret threatens to overwhelm them. Regret is there. So how do you handle it? Because it's not just gonna magically go away. You're gonna remember what you did. But how do you handle it in a way that it doesn't keep you from your future. It doesn't dictate your future. It doesn't say this is all I'll ever be. So I want to look at three keys to handling regret. The first key is this. The key to overcoming regret is grace. Grace is probably my favorite. I, if I could preach on one topic other than Jesus, obviously, but you know, without Jesus, there is no grace. I mean, it would be grace, just the grace is this amazing reality because grace is freely given. And that means it can be freely received. It's freely given. God doesn't give grace based on merit. He gives grace based on his character. And so because he gives it freely, we can receive it freely. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to behave a certain way. We don't have to measure up to a certain standard. We come to God and say, I need grace. And he pours it out. And then we mess up and we go back and say, God, I need grace. And he pours it out. We make a mistake and we say, God, I need grace. And he gives it. Does he want us to change? Does he want us to be transformed? Does he want us to be different? Of course he does. But his grace isn't dependent on externals. It's a reflection of his character. So if you want to overcome the regret of what you've done. Now, I just want to make this clear. This isn't just sin, You can have regret for something that's not sin. It's simply you didn't do things the best way that you could have. So it might be a sin thing. It may be some way in which you violated the holiness of God. It may be just, you know, I didn't make good financial decisions, and I regret that. I wish I had saved a little bit more when I was in my 20s or 30s. Well, that's not a sin. I mean, you don't need to go. God, forgive me. But... You regret it. You go, now I'm in my 40s or 50s or 60s, and I don't think I'll ever be able to retire because I didn't save. That's a huge regret, but it's not a sin thing. But how do you handle that regret? How do you overcome that regret? The key is grace. So Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth, he's telling them about how God has used him and some amazing things that he's experienced. But he says, because of these amazing things and what God's done in my life, he's reminded me that I've, I've wrestled with pride Pride in my heart in the past. Like before I was a Christian, I was proud. I knew I was right. I was always right. I was so right that I'd kill Christians. And so this pride uh, threatened to overwhelm me. And God in his grace said, I'm gonna allow something into your life that's gonna keep pride from coming back. So he's wrestling with this, God used me in great ways, but I have this regret because of pride. And God says, I'm gonna use that. And so Paul calls it a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but he says it's to keep pride from taking root in my heart. And so he cries out to God, take this away. Take take this thing away from my life. I don't want this. This is hard. This is difficult. And this is what God says to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me, may be displayed through me may reside within me. So what he's saying is, yeah, I have done some things that I'm proud of and some things I'm not proud of, but God's grace is there. When you are powerless to overcome the regret, the shame, when you feel like you're gonna drown in an ocean of regret, grace. Grace is there. What you need to build into your prayer life when you are laying your head down on the pillow, when you're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, all these regrets for the things you've said, the things you've done, the way you've behaved, the choices that you made come flooding into your life. You just need to say, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. If God can use Paul, God can use you. Nothing you've done can preclude you from, can hold back God's grace from your life nothing you've done, nothing you've said, God's grace is there. See, Paul said, I forget what lies behind and I press forward. I, want, I don't want to allow regret to dictate my future. So what we need to do is remember this, that we need to forget regret and embrace his grace. We need to forget regret and embrace his grace. His grace is there in that moment to overwhelm all the regret of you doesn't mean you're going to not remember those things. When I say forget regret, I don't mean like, oh, forget all those things. But it means I'm not going to dwell on them. When when I start thinking about it, grace. Grace in that moment. Grace to change me. Grace to sustain me. Just cry out over and over, God, God, I need your grace in this moment. I need your grace. So, when you're, when you're struggling with something and you remember what you've done, there, there's a few things, okay? Here's the first thing. If, you, if you've messed up in some way, you've hurt someone, you've lied, you've stolen, you've you just messed up. I mean, it could be, again, it might be a sin thing. It might just be, you know, these are just relational blunders. These are ways in which I've hurt someone. First thing you need to do is go to that person, okay? That's called your horizontal relationship, person to person, And you need to go and say, hey, I messed up. I I hurt you. I violated you. I stole. I I misrepresented you. I I somehow or other uh, uh, lied about the situation. I defrauded you. Whatever it was, I just, I wasn't kind and I should have been kind. I wasn't caring and I should have been more sensitive. Whatever it is, you go to them and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And they have a choice. They can say yes or they can say no. It's God's grace in that moment. If they say yes, wonderful. If they say no, there's nothing you can do about it. But you also need to go to God. And that's your or that's your vertical relationship between you and God. And you say, God, I need you to forgive me. And the Bible says he's faithful and just and he'll forgive us of all our sins. So you go to God and he'll always forgive you. People may not forgive you because we're not God. God will always forgive you. So you go to God and they He forgives you. You go to that person, they may or may not. If they do, your relationship is restored. If not, then you say, okay, I've done everything I can do. Now you trust God's grace to possibly down the road reconcile that relationship. But it doesn't end there. Then what you need to do is you need to go to other people. You need to build a support network. You need to build up some accountability. You need to find people that are going to be in your life that are in your corner. And you say, hey, I want to tell you what I've done. I want to tell you what I've struggled with. Because regret is like a backpack that weighs you down, and it's just heavy and a burden. And when you go to that person or those group of people and you say, hey, listen, this is where I've messed up. These are the regrets I'm carrying. These are the things that I said and done in the past, right? The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. All of a sudden, you're taking that backpack off and you're saying, will you help me carry this burden of regret? Why do you have to carry it all on your own? You don't. It's why the Bible also says, confess your sins, your weaknesses, your faults, your failings to one another. So you go and you say, "I've, I've done this. What Paul said, right? I'm gonna boast all the more in my weakness. I'm gonna tell you the failings and the regrets that I've had because once I shine a light on that, all of a sudden, it's not so bad. I still regret it. See, what happens is we have a regret. Say it's from 10 years ago. And we've gone to God. We've asked him to forgive us. And we've gone to that person. And they have or they haven't. But, but then we don't ever tell anybody. And so we live in this constant concern. If anyone finds out, oh, it's going to be over. So you know what you do? You just shine that light of grace right on that. And say, this is what I did. I'm not proud of it. But grace grace in the moment and then what power does it have over you so we have to learn to avoid or to uh, to overcome regret we have to walk in grace see there uh, there is nothing that you can do that can hold back god's grace unless you refuse to allow god's grace to flow see your your regrets aren't more powerful than god's grace The only way your regret wins is if you don't allow grace to move in your life. See, your regrets and my regrets are no match for God's grace unless we choose to allow them to dominate our lives. So it's a choice you make every time those regrets come into your mind, those regrets come back into your thoughts. You remember what you did. You remember what you said. You remember how you behaved. You remember, you remember, you remember. And at that point, you can say, I'm gonna let regret win or I'm gonna let grace win. You have to choose grace. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. But what if it's not a regret because of something you did? Like it's something someone else did, but you are kind of carrying the bucket. You're kind of carrying the... the. Uh, so like one of your parents you know, ended up in prison, or they cheated, or they lied, they misbehaved, they, they, they did things that were hurtful and, and wrong, a business partner stole from you, a friend betrayed you, a spouse walked out on you, and, and they acted in this just horrible manner. And, and you kind of feel a responsibility for that, like it reflects on you. So if it's a parent, you might hear people say, well, you're just like your father, she's going to be, she's going to turn out just like her mom. They're going to end up being just like them. And you almost feel like somehow or other, um, that, that you are carrying their regret, that their regret is reflective of you. So well, how do you handle that type of regret? The key to releasing their regret is righteousness. So, you may have heard uh, the, the verse from Deuteronomy where it says, uh, God will visit the sins of the Father to the third and fourth generation, but he will pour his loving kindness to a thousand generations. Has anybody ever heard that verse, some variation of that? Two of you. Okay. Um, it's in the Bible, it's in Deuteronomy. Look it up. Um, so, what God's point was there is that he wanted to impress. This is through the Mosaic law, the law that he gave to Moses. And so he's wanting to impress upon the people that he works through families and that moms and dads and sons and daughters will learn from each other and we will pass things down to each other. And when we're faithful to God in one generation, it helps the next generation to be faithful to God and so on and so on and so on. But if we're unfaithful to God, it will potentially destroy the next generation. And so the, his whole point was I worked through families, but they began to take that idea and began to build an, an entire um, philosophical construct around it that said, if a father messes up, then the son has to pay the guilt, has to pay the price for the father's sin. And if a son or a daughter messes up, then the mom and the, or the dad have to pay the price for that person's sin. And it became very unhealthy. And God said, you, you're misunderstanding the entire point. So this is what he now says later on through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, the child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor the parent share the guilt of the child. In other words, their regrets have nothing to do with you. Their mistakes, their shame, their failings, their, all the things that they've done, even if it's not sin, that is not on you. He goes on to say this in the next verse. He says, "But the righteous, the righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them." So he's saying there Failings have nothing to do with you. You live righteous. You live a life that honors God. You live a life that shows kindness and grace and forgiveness. You live the way that God asks you to live, and God will honor you. God will pour his blessing upon you. Your life isn't a reflection of theirs. So stop carrying their shame. Stop carrying their regrets. Because if you do carry their regrets then eventually their regrets will become your regrets. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, if my dad's a cheater, I'm going to be a cheater. If my dad couldn't be faithful to my mom. I know I won't be faithful to my mom. Well, if you know you're not gonna, you know what you're going to be? Not gonna, right? I mean, you've already decided. I mean, then, you know, I just, uh, just the way I am. I mean, if my mom was a druggie, then I'm going to be a druggie. So I might as well light it up, snort it up and shoot it up. So, you know, But you have to say, that's not who I am. My life is not dictated by their regrets. I can live a life of righteousness. And if I live a life of righteousness, then that's who I am. And if I choose to live a life of wickedness, then that's who I am. That's who I'm choosing to be, but it's not based on what my mom did, my dad did. It's not based on what my children did. It's not based on what my aunt did, my uncle did, my cousin did, my, uh, my spouse, any of those things. You have to learn that you do not need to let their regrets become yours. But so many of us pick up the regrets of others and say, this is who I am. You live a righteous life. And you don't have to carry their regrets. So when, when the regrets of your life come into your heart, into your thoughts, his grace is sufficient. When their regrets threaten to become your regrets, just say, I can live a righteous life. But what about the whole idea of avoiding regrets at all? Like, I mean, it's great that we can overcome regrets, And we thank God for that. Thank God for his grace. It's great that we don't have to take their regrets on ourselves, but you know what's even better? Avoiding regrets to begin with. So here's the third key. The key to avoiding regret is discipline. It's learning to say, I don't need to make choices that are going to lead me to have regrets, So this is what Paul says. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, he's talking about running a race. He said, I discipline myself. I don't want to regret what I've done. And as a result of that, I'm disqualified from the race. I want to finish the race that's laid before me. Why does he talk about discipline? Because he knows how difficult it is to live a life free of regrets. We all wrestle with doing things that we don't want to do. This is why he wrote this to the church in Rome. He said, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. This whole passage in Romans, I love it because it's, I feel like it's me. Like I wake up in the morning and this is who I want to be but it's not who I ended up being. I ended up doing this thing, and that's not really what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to do this at all, but I ended up doing it, and I don't understand myself, right? I mean, is anyone like that? Like, you just, like, you know, I know what I want to do. These are the things that that would be honoring and pleasing to God, that would help my marriage, that would be good to my children, that would be helpful to people in the church. It's what I want to do. As soon as I stumble down the stairs and drink my first espresso. I'm just making a mess of everything. Why am I doing this? Because Paul knows we need to be disciplined. We need to be disciplined in our lives. But he also knows you can't do it on your own. It's not about self-discipline. You don't have it in yourself. If you had it in yourself, he wouldn't have said the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. He'd have said, I just pull myself up by my bootstraps and I get it figured out. He says, it's not in me to do it by myself. You don't have enough discipline in yourself in order to do the things you always want to do and never do the things you don't want to do. He says, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit, alive, active, moving in my heart, moving in my life that God, through Jesus Christ, can deliver me from all these things. That's why he writes six verses later. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you have to get to the point where you say, I need discipline, but that discipline isn't found in me. It's found uh, by God working through me as he sends the Holy Spirit, as as Jesus leads you and guides you and directs you. See, the root word that we get the word disciple from is the same root word we get the word discipline from. So as followers of Christ, we're called to be uh, disciplined disciples. We're called to exercise discipline in our lives, and that discipline comes from God. So the writer of Hebrews is talking, and he's saying, listen, God's your heavenly father, and he's going to bring discipline into your life. And this is what he says. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. However, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. All of a sudden, he says, you want righteousness and peace instead of shame and regret, then learn to accept the discipline that God brings into your life. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. But listen, any athlete who's going to be successful has to be disciplined. You know, they did a study. It's called the Law of 100. If you will study and an individual topic, subject, for 100 hours a year, eighteen approximately 17 to 8 minutes a day, equates to about 100 hours a year, you will be in the top 90% of those who understand that topic. But that requires discipline. It requires consistency. It requires you saying, I'm gonna be disciplined in this area because I want to avoid a life of regret. So, let me ask you a question. What is the thing right now that you want most? What is it? You want a a deeper, more intimate relationship with God, your Heavenly Father? Do you wanna get out of debt? Do you want to grow your business? Do you want a better marriage? Do you want a deeper relationship with your children? Do you want to get in better shape? Do you want to um, grow uh, your business in some way? What is it? What is it that you want? What is that thing you want to break that addiction in your life? What is that thing you want the most? Some of you are going, there's a lot of things I want the most. Just pick one. Because what, you, what I want you to do is invite God to bring discipline into your life in that area. And if you start with five, six, eight, 10, 20, 30 things, it feels overwhelming. But start with one and say, God, bring discipline into that life, into that area of my life. And as you begin to see that thing happen the way you desire for it to happen, it it, it opens you up to invite God into more and more areas. So what is that thing you want the most? Now, the second question is this, what discipline action do you need to take? because you can't just want it. You have to do something about it. What's that next discipline action that you need to take? And most of you already know what it is. You need to join a group. You need to call a financial advisor. You need to change your schedule. You need to stop that behavior. You need to call a counselor. You need to um, join a gym. Whatever it is, that thing that you need to do, you're going to have to carve out time to do that, to be consistent with it, some of you say, I want a better marriage. Well, you know, you need to make your marriage a priority. Today, this morning, uh, my wife and I are celebrating 29 years of marriage. But, but it's taking hard work. It's taking consistency. I mean, she is gracious. Talk about grace. It's probably why I love Grace so much. Uh, her name's Jamie, but if I could change her name to Grace, it'd be even better. No, um, no uh, she's gracious, but we, it's been hard it's not always been easy, but we've, we've tried to make our marriage a priority. We've struggled at times, but we keep going. But if you want to have a great marriage, make it a priority. Have a date night. Here's something you could do. I heard Craig Rochelle talk about this. I think it's a great idea. You should attend an NIB conference, an NIB weekend. Who knows what an NIB weekend is? All right. Ready? Naked in bed. <laughs> That's right. Send the kids to grandma and grandpa's, and you spend the weekend naked in bed. I learned growing up, this is true. It's a true story. It had nothing to do with the sermon, but I just thought I'd share this with you. I learned growing up. You can't can't say naked from the pulpit, but you can say naked. Um, (laughs) Attended naked in bed conference. Hey, where where are mom and dad going? NIV conference. Listen, you tell me that, I'll say, I don't want to see you at church. You enjoy the weekend once a year. Once a year. (laughs) No, but, but maybe in, in, in seriousness, maybe your marriage is, is, needs more than that. So you got to call a counselor, call a pastor, call a couple's uh, uh, counselor and, and, and invest in that and spend the time. But those first steps aren't easy. They require making those calls, asking for help, spending the money, going consistently. Right. You might say I need uh, financial help. So you got to join a financial peace group and go once a week for eight weeks and spend the time and invest the resources. You say that's expensive and that's hard and that's difficult, right? No discipline at the time seems pleasant, but those who have been trained by it will reap a harvest of righteousness. So it's going to take work It's going to take consistency, but if you want to avoid a life of regret, then always, always, always choose discipline. So when someone shows up with that box of Dunkin' Donuts, listen, you can eat them all. There's no law against it, but you could say, God, in this moment, I want to get in better shape. I want my body to not break down. I want to be able to do the things that you've called me to do. So God, allow me to have the discipline to not eat any or to eat one, And then walk away. Because if you eat all 12 or 24 or 36, um, you'll regret it. But you don't have to live a life of regret. Or maybe with your finances. You say, I want to have financial freedom in order to be generous and help people. But that means when you see that thing that pops up on your uh, internet, when you see that commercial, when you walk through the store, that you don't have to buy it just because you can Instead, you can walk away. Say, God, give me the discipline to walk away so that I could save more, so that I can be more generous. So, When you're walking down the street or you're in the mall or you're at the beach or you go to the gym and you see that person and biology kicks in. And listen, I may be a pastor, but I'm still a human, all right? Biology kicks in. You know what you don't have to do? You don't have to look back. Oh, yeah. Two on the front, two on the back. Um, No, you don't need to do that. Some of you are like, huh? Ask your mom. Um, You don't need to do that. You say, God, give me discipline. I don't need to take that look. I want to honor you. I want to honor my spouse. I want to honor that person as a human being who's made in your image. And it goes for men and women. Say, God, I want to be disciplined because I don't want to live a life of regret. I don't want to live a life it says, why did I do that? So always, always, always choose discipline. And as you do, it becomes easier and easier and easier. But you have to invite God into that moment. So here's what I want you to remember. Do something now before it becomes your greatest regret. Do something now. That thing that you know you want, do something now. Because I could line up person after person after person. And they would tell you, you know what? I am living in the biggest moment of regret in my life now because I didn't do something then. But for you, you could do something now so you won't have regret later. So do something now. I don't want any of you to be that parent who says, I wish I had been there when my kids were growing up. And all I have is regrets Do something now so you can avoid your greatest regret later. I don't want any of you to say, I wish I had taken my marriage more seriously because now I regret the condition of my marriage. I want you to get to 29 years, 39 years, 49 years, 69 years. But do something now before it becomes your greatest regret. For some of you, what you need to do now is speak grace into those regrets from the past. That's what you need to do because if you don't, it will pull you down and it will drown you and it will bury you under a mountain of regret. You can't change what you've done, but you could say, God, your grace, your grace, your grace is sufficient. I messed up, I did things, I didn't understand what I was doing, I wish I had done it different, but I can't. Do something now so that you can walk free from those regrets and those regrets don't continue to multiply. And if for you, it's their regrets, then at some point say, that is not mine to carry. Their regrets don't have to be mine. Do something now before what you want doesn't happen and it becomes your greatest regret. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. God, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would move in our hearts and in our lives. God, I don't know anyone who doesn't have some type of regret. It may be from sin, maybe from misbehaving. It may just be from ignorance and not knowing any better. But God, we look back and we say, I wish I had, I wish I hadn't. I wish I did. I wish I didn't. God, would your grace move? For those of us who have life in front of us, We don't know what the future holds, but God, I know we don't have to have a future full of regret if we will allow you to discipline our lives now. So God, would your grace flow and allow us to receive your discipline? It's not gonna feel pleasant. It's not gonna be fun. It's not gonna be easy. But God, a harvest of righteousness and peace awaits us, a life free of shame and regret. And God, for those of us who have let their regrets become ours. God, would we understand that the guilt of the parents, the guilt of the children, the guilt of the spouse, the guilt of the friend, the guilt of a business partner is not ours to carry. Allow your grace to flow in that situation. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. and We're going to sing a few songs. I want to start with one probably most of you know, Amazing Grace. We're just going to sing the the one chorus. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do. In this moment, think of those regrets that you have, those ones that are threatening you. And as we sing about his amazing grace, just ask him, God, allow your grace to flow into my life. During this time or any of these songs that we're going to sing after that, if you'd like prayer about something we talked about or something else going on in your life, you're wrestling with finances, you're wrestling with sickness, you're wrestling with a disease, you're just a relationship. Or maybe you need God to move in a moment right now and you just want to confess what's going on. There's going to be prayer teams up here and they'll pray with you and they'll pray for you. Allow God's grace to move in your life.